and welcome to If Anyone Cares. My name is Riley James. We thank you so much for listening to the show. We appreciate the numbers growing each and every week. And it should, it's been a pleasure doing this show. And I love it. And you guys apparently like it too. So it's been it's been one of the honors of my life to be able to do this. Uh, our, our guest today is a man who's been in my life for about 15 years of the 18. So I think I know him kind of well. <laughs> he's... um. He's the golden standard of what a role model should be as a, as a man, as a human, and as someone who has to interact with people all day, every day. It's been incredible to watch him. Just He's very thoughtful. He's very calculated. He's very articulate with the things that I've seen him do. It's been absolutely incredible to, to, to see him do things. His name is Jeffrey Ross, and I thank him so much for coming on the show and we have an incredible interview coming up in a few seconds. But to promote the show, you can follow the show on at if anyone cares underscore at Riley James IAC. Um, you can subscribe to the show, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. You can share it. You can tell your friends about us. Um, it was Father's Day recently. It's also my, my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. Like You can just share the show with... It's summertime. It's summertime. Just share the show with friends. Play it by the pool. Have fun. I know it's not. I know music's really a pool thing, but if podcasts about the pool are your thing, that's actually a great podcast concept, by the way. That's free for anyone who wants to take it. I might do that this summer. Podcasts by the pool. Trademark pending. Copyright. Verbal copyright. Is that a thing? Can I get that going? U.S. Copyright Office. I don't know what it's called. Anyways. If you want to listen to us by the pool, if you want to listen to us on a car ride, going on a summer trip somewhere, I, I really do appreciate it. If you know someone who is going on a long trip, that's the perfect thing to do because these these interviews make the time go by really quickly. Even though I, I'm watching a clock on a lot of these interviews and it feels like forever, but they told me, it's like, oh, that felt like 20 minutes. We went an hour and 30. I'm like, it did not for me. Because I saw the clock the whole time and I had to keep thinking about questions and how this is going to go. It's a very interesting thing, but uh, I thank you guys so much for listening each and every week. And follow the show at if anyone cares underscore at Rally James IAC. I'm also on Instagram at Rally James IAC as well on there. I've, I've been told I need to promote that more. But Instagram's kind of like a weird thing for me. I do a lot of Instagram stories and a lot of you follow me on Instagram because you participate in the hashtag Ask Riley Friday Instagram stories which that's been really, really cool to, to, to have. But um, again, thank you so much, and I really, really hope you enjoy this interview. Live from his office in Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a lot of interesting things in here, a lot of deer you've killed. Um, we have a man who has meant a lot to me in my life, who I appreciate making the time and making his office available for us to use. He's a pastor. He's a man who's traveled around the world. And I'm excited what he might say on the microphone today, Reverend Jeffrey Ralston. Um, thank you so much for making time, and how are you? I'm well, man. I'm, I'm happy you're here today. Really have been looking forward to this. It's definitely interesting talking to you in this setting because I did grow up with you being um, my pastor. So to have this connection and this one-on-one -on -one moment that's being recorded for people to listen to, it's definitely an interesting thing for me. Um, and it's I'm excited, and I'm glad you made time for it. 
Well, and it's it's great that you mentioned that uh, we grew up, we kind of grew up together because this is the first place I've pastored, been in ministry all my life, but this is the first place I've pastored. So taking this pastoral here 16 years ago and taking, taking the helm here and, and developing our ministry right here along with you, we've grown up into this ministry as you've grown up in life. So the parallel there is uh, important and noted. When did you take over this church? Uh, 2001, 16 years ago, uh, we were, well, uh, actually that's that's not correct. 17. Uh, 17. Or yeah. 18. 18. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just keep piling on. They, they do. They do. <laughs> um, we took the church. Uh, we had, you know, we'd been uh, traveling and um, my wife and I were both from uh, the Midwest and she's from Kansas and I'm from Arkansas, but the north northeast part of Arkansas there. So we had uh, we had a beautiful a beautiful time traveling the country and preaching in different places and we didn't even know that there was an entire subculture down here known as the Cajuns. <laughs> and we got down here and fell in love with the food and the people and the pastor at the time was ready to retire and so the church offered uh, offered us the opportunity and we took took the position and we just knew it was God from the beginning, and He's been with us. So you, you mentioned traveling around to go from place to place to place and then come to one singular place with this group of people that you're going to have to see every week and pastor and lead. What was the mental transition like from that? Oh, it was pretty extensive because, first of all, you know, I'd never, I'd never pastored people. Traveling, you, you, you preach, and what you do basically is you invite people to, to uh, welcome Christ into their life, the preaching is really singular because you're bringing people to the choice of serving Christ. Well, when you pastor, uh, you're you're bringing people to a more in-depth approach to God. So you're studying and developing sermons that really bring about a level of not evangelism but discipleship. Well, I wasn't ready for that kind of load. So I did <laughs> so we we really put uh, we really put a lot of time and in, in study into developing a ministry that was centered on discipleship, being with people through thick and thin, developing those relationships. So we've we've dedicated people's children, we've married their children, we've just been there with them. It's been enriching and 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 really fell in love with the process. So when you took over the church in 2001, uh, did you ever expect it to grow as much as it has and the people accept you as much as they have? Well, we, you know, we truly, we, the acceptance and the growth, uh, of course, we are, we're visionary people, so we, we wanted and longed for growth, and we put ourselves in a position to grow, meaning that uh, it was a part of the plan from the very beginning. Um, the acceptance... The way people fall in love with you, uh, the way you fall in love with people, no, that's really special. Um, you know, we, we, we both felt that we were people people, meaning that uh, we're altruistic, uh, we truly sympathize, and we have compassion for people. Uh, we're both extroverts. We have a tendency to uh, be creative and, and fun and fun-loving, so... We kind of felt like that our people skills were going to be right where they needed to be for us to make those kind of relationships. 
but we didn't expect to fall in love with people like you do. You know, where uh, when there's a death or when, when there's a tragedy, it breaks your heart. You live that tragedy with, with people. And in that regard, it's been a wonderful journey, but truly a, a life-changing experience. So it's been an interesting journey to lead you to this point. I want to go back to your childhood in Arkansas. Um, growing up, what points kind of made you who you are today and led you to this position to be uh, in this role here? Well, we had a, an unusual upbringing because, you know, a lot of people, uh, we know that, of course, your environment, along with your traits, is what makes you who you are. That's what forms your personality. And, of course, often you don't know what kind of traits you have until the environment challenges those traits. Well, we had a real laid-back childhood. Um, I was born in the Ozark Mountains, um, just outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. The road that uh, leads to my house to this day is still dirt, dirt road, County Road 165. My daddy still lives out there in my mother's past. But we were out there, we lived out there. Our closest neighbor was half a mile away. And uh, we caught a school bus that came out and brought us to Elkins, which was a small community um, just south of where we lived. And so we had a great childhood. Uh, we, we, we grew up in a God-fearing home. Our, my father and my mother both were spirit-filled people, uh, both very disciplined in their faith and in their walk with God. So we grew up thinking that those values were the norm, right? Uh, it's only after you get out and you start traveling that you realize, wow, we were, tra we were truly sheltered. We were. But at that point in time, what made us who we were, our character, our convictions, were already well established. You know, we, we were truly... Um, amazed at, at how people live their lives contrary to what it meant to be just good people. Um, and so we try to say, okay, let's practice being good people, solid good people and Christians. And we did that because it, it was how we were brought up. And we come along and found that there were many other people just like us in the, in the end. Uh, it's taking those values and living those values that make the the difference and that's what my upbringing great granted me so growing up in the Ozark Mountains um, is there any childhood stories that you remember just you know they're very unique yeah growing up in those type of parts oh yeah yeah well <laughs> what makes it unique of course is you know your parents and everyone everyone has uh, childhood memories that reflect back to the, the larger than life people and for us it was dad you know mom was solid brilliant smart. Uh, she was an educator. Um, and so she, you know, she taught us to read and write and the value of, 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 of being a person of intellect and thought. But dad, on the other hand, was a horse trader, right? Meaning that dad would buy junk or trade for stuff, something. He'd drag it home. Man, we had four wheelers and all kinds, of, but we never had anything that did not need to be worked on. Most, yeah, most of the items that we had would run for about 30 minutes and then die somewhere. Uh, you know, you had to have uh, some kind of some kind of skill level to get it started. You know, uh, so you know, Dad always had uh, just something going on, and so that was how we, you know, we were raised, and we were raised with a love for animals. You know, we had 
um, learned quickly on how a horse and a dog has its own personality. And we we were raised in the, in the, in the country with animals. Uh, there was there was all types of adventure every day. It was something new. You know, uh, we were truly in the woods. I mean, raised amongst the oaks. And so we'd get up every day and we'd either go fish, hunt, ride the horse. You know, it was an adventure every day. And then about four o'clock, here come dad in that rickety old truck <laughs> down the dirt roads. And no telling what he was dragging home. So, you know, that's how we, that's how we were, we were raised. And when we got older, you know, uh, Dad thought, well, we're going to go take take this adventure on the road. So he bought an old, tired RV, and we'd get somewhere, and he'd have to work on it to get to the next place. You know, you'd have tires, and everything would break down on it. But through those through those experiences, we created our sense of humor. We created our ability to exist in in this world. You know, we you don't need much to get along. We created the understanding of what it meant to be blessed and what it meant to have family. Do you think those experiences helped you out as a father yourself? Not only as a father, but as a preacher. You know, lots of times in sermons, I'll I'll present an idea, and, and you know, and I'll tell a story related to my youth. Talk about, you know, something along the lines of of taking a a trip and waking up and it raining and. Everything inside the RV and on the outside of the RV was wet. <laughs> it was the thing; it leaked like a sieve. You know, it just, you just, you know, you understand what it means to, um, to make the most out of even the most difficult circumstances. Well, as a father, you know that's easy to relate to your kids. You know, you're you're having a bad day. Well, it could be a little worse. You know, uh, we're gonna be okay. We got each other. And the same with uh, conflict and, and difficulties in people's lives as well. It relates. You, you mentioned the, the personal connection, bringing your stories in as a, as a pastor. Um, is there a limit? And how far do you go down the line of being so open and, and honest about the things that are, are you? And how much do you keep personal? Well, I think people crave authenticity. Um, Christ was truly authentic and his stories he taught were relatable i think you have to follow that pattern though so for example christ when he was in uh, that intimate setting with his disciples was extremely open um he spoke to them and said hey if your eye offends you pluck it out i mean think about think about the violence of that statement uh it's offensive you know it's it's brutal um, and when he was in that kind of setting, he spoke to that degree. Um, in that in that same chapter, he ends up going down, and he's that that particular happening took place up in in the high place in the mountain. So the disciples literally had to climb up to the mountain to hear him speak in that regard. He comes down into the valley, and he talks about a sower going forth to sow, and the message is relatable to a farmer, which. That hill country was full of farmers. So he spoke in very generic terms. He spoke with a, a sense of calmness, and he was relatable. So as a pastor, you have different levels of communication. To a group that you know is, is in leadership and 
you must talk to them and convey to them and convince them of something that's extremely important. You may speak with a level of openness. You may talk with that same kind of language that Christ did. Uh, but then when you're talking to the multitude, you have to bear in mind that people might take things different. And so you might relate to them in a way that's, that's more general. So being uh, someone who is obviously respected and looked up to by a lot of people, how much responsibility do you feel and pressure to live the way that they expect you to live versus the way that um, you feel like is the right way to live? Well, I think, you know, this is so important because it, it comes down oftentimes to personality. Um, I'm the kind of personality where I, I enjoy going by the book. You know, I'm open to experience. I'm certainly um, uh, eager to please people and want to please people. But I find myself being ex extremely focused on the consistency of life and the consistency of, of building a life. Okay? So... And you find this as a common theme in Scripture. I mean, you're looking at Abraham. You're looking at Noah. You're looking at Job. You're looking at Daniel. All of these people persisted, and their faith was the persistence. And their message became the longevity of their life. So for me, it's not a burden as much as it is my nature combined with also how I feel like I'm... I'm here to preach and convey. So I don't feel like that the Sermon Sunday is without the walk on Monday. I, I think that message on Sunday becomes even more valuable when you've walked for the last 15, 16, 17 years in that way, right? So to say it's pressure, because my personality is geared that way um, and because I relate to the to the biblical narrative in that regard. I wouldn't say it's much as pressure as I would say uh, an enjoyable occupation. <laughs> it's so it's so amazing to me how articulate articulate you are and the way you're so thoughtful about your words and how you present things. It's just that's one of the things I respect most about you, and it's just you can see how intelligent you are and how you've learned to adapt to situations and learn from those situations to be able to react and respond the right way uh, going forward. So was there a time where you weren't super confident in the way you reacted in, in certain ways? Oh, certainly. As a matter of fact, it's, it's kind of uh, ironic that you would mention that because when I was, when I was a child, um, and I said child, probably well up into eighth grade, um, I had a hard time articulating, especially with certain words. For example, I couldn't say music. I would say music. I couldn't say yellow. I would say yellow. Um, I actually ended up going to a speech therapist. Mom took me to the University of Arkansas. So it's ironic that um, my life and the way I make a living is by using words, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm, it's it's truly ironic, but that's the way God works. Now, you know, the, the thing I learned quickly in life is this, especially in especially in, in pastoring and communicating. You must learn 
and exercise of preparedness above all else. So for me, it's being spiritually prepared, but it's also having a clear, decisive notes and understanding and working and developing those notes. So what you put time into is what you're going to master. So early on, I learned to, to work hard at doing that um, and putting together words in a way that, that would best communicate, not just in a, in a means of being able to articulate an idea, but make it relatable, right? Because you could say something and people go, well, that's beautiful, but they don't have a clue what you said, <laughs> right. you know? Or they don't know how to make it work for them. So communicating today, especially where you, you need to be able to say something in a way that's relatable at the same time that generates thought and even has a sense of, of poetry about it, you know, because you want words to matter. Um, and one of my, my best and favorite people in all the world is Pastor Osborne. And one day I was sitting with Brother Osborne and we were talking and he was talking to me because he's a great orator and has a wonderful way with words. And so we're talking about this back and forth. And he made a statement to me about a man he knew, a friend of his, who collected sentences. See? So people collect stamps. People collect, you know, all kinds of different things, right? This guy collected sentences. So he was looking for sentences that really made a difference. And he would write them down. Well, that appealed to me in such an amazing way. So I started collecting sentences. So what I'll do is I have many books. I'll read a paragraph, speed read a paragraph. I'm looking for one sentences. And when I find it, I pull it aside. Well, that becomes a treasure. Let me give you one for example. This sentence I used the other day, and it's one of my favorites. I've been using it a little bit here and there. But even a broken crayon still colors. It's a great sentence, right? It's true. That's right. It's, it's, it's true. But think about what, how that makes you feel, right? Because who's not broken? And yet you still have purpose. That's, <laughs> that's such a great spin zone into taking something that's negative. Spin it right around into something positive. I feel like... You know, that's a lot of what you have to do dealing with people. And um, I, I've heard, you know, stories of you having to deal with some issues and, and some problems with people. And um, and just getting, I don't know, it's frustrated is the word, but trying to get them to understand the idea that it's not always a negative thing that when you have issues. So what what's the what's the transition been like? with dealing with people over the last 16 years? Well, you know, here's the way I like to view people, and this is the way I like to get people to think. Um, if you go down and you spend 16 bucks and buy a bag of popcorn and sit down and watch a movie, you understand that if you walk into that movie and you have a great, I mean, a terrific character, and that, that character has no conflict whatsoever in in the entire movie. Well, what fun is that movie going to be? Right. I mean, really? So now we got it to where this guy has, he's got an obvious enemy, maybe two or three, 
right? He's got conflict within, and now we're pulling for something. We want this guy to win. We want him to beat every adversary without, and we also want him to, to conquer that person that's within him that he needs to conquer. Well, we try to get people to understand everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. Win. Live to win. Christ is here to help us. Your faith is so important in this. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. So if we can get someone to take up that kind of approach, you've got a story to tell. And if you're on the first chapter or on the last chapter, you got to finish or you got to write. But you got to tell your story. If we can get people to look at that, uh, their, their life in that regard, conflict becomes doable, right? right. Everyone's got it. All I got to do is beat it. I got to tell my story. So we try to generate faith. We try to generate hope. We try to generate the, the, the confidence needed. And to do that, we try to get them to understand, hey, you're here for a reason. You've got a story to tell. I want to switch gears a little bit to uh, your family. So you mentioned your wife is from the West. How, how, how did that happen? How did you uh, meet her and what led you to be together? Well, both Shelly and I have strong spiritual upbringings church that she attended in, in Kansas brought her to the, the campground that we attended in Arkansas for a summer youth camp. And that's how we met. We were both really young in high school. We had a mutual, a mutual desire to please God. And so our life started at the Arkansas youth camp there. And through that process, we just became dear friends. And then we started dating. Now, of course, she was five hours away. Um, back in those days, you didn't have the convenience of email. Email had just come out. I mean, I was I was attending Arkansas, and they gave me my first email address, and I thought, man, what in the world is this, right? So, we were we were uh, dating long long distance, and so it was literally writing letters and sending letters off, handwritten letters. Uh, that's how we began. We went through the process of those years of dating. She was committed to, to attending. Um, uh, she's a, a Wichita State girl. And so she concluded that at the same time I was preaching out quite a bit and wrapped up my educational endeavors. And so finally at last I decided, hey, she's the one. I felt it. I knew it. She's the one. So I made the trip to Kansas and invested in uh, being there with her. And we, we, Spent two years together, and we knew that it was meant to be at that point. And so we we uh, fell in love and made a life together. I was like, uh, always like getting people to tell their stories if they're married or not, um, to kind of let people know, like it's still out there somewhere. If you yeah, found it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's still out there. That's right. Um, but you two have been together for how long now? Well, Sean and I, we've been married. Well. See, 20, 21 years. 21 years. That's right. Yeah. It was kind of funny because I, I glossed over a little bit. We dated for five years. She was dedicated to her schooling, and I was dedicated to traveling. So at one point we said, well, you know what? We've done this. We've, we've been committed to one another. But to make sure, let's take a year and just break. Just break. It's a risky endeavor. Let's, oh, my God. <laughs> my God. So, you know what we did? Uh, I'd like to think it was mutual, but um, um, 
at any rate, we didn't. So I'm in Amarillo, Texas. We haven't talked. We haven't communicated. We haven't, I mean, we have not <laughs> spoken to each other in a year. And I am in Amarillo, Texas on an Easter Sunday morning, just trying to get my mind ready to preach. And I feel this sense of, what am I going to do if someone takes my Shelly? You know? I didn't know that was what love felt like. You know? It was fear. Right? You know? Did you know that fear feels like, uh, or love feels like fear? Man, I'm telling you, you, hit me like a ton of bricks. Man, what are you doing? Well, I knew what God was saying to me. But it wasn't long and I was in Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> and I didn't, I showed up. She didn't have any idea I was coming. I showed up and, um, and uh, told her, I said, hey, you know, God's, God told me that we're supposed to be together. She's like, Lord, now, mind you, we haven't spoken in over a year. She's like, well, he's going to have to talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah, she, she wasn't nearly as convinced as I was, uh, but it wasn't too long, and I won her back. I feel like women are never as convinced as we are about anything. Well, now you said that. But the record show, you said that. <laughs> uh, but you guys have uh, a plethora of children now. seems like for a while you weren't going to stop. Well, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> what we did was uh, we had Abigail and Nick. Abigail just graduated from high school, and uh, Nick is is in junior high. Uh, we have those two, and they're four years apart. So, you know, I personally thought we were finished. Well, she came back and said, hey, I want to have a couple more. And I said, man, this is big. I mean big. <laughs> I don't know, you know. So, uh, what, what mama wants, mama gets. Right. We talked about it and talked about it. We discussed it for well over a year. And uh, we both then felt like it was the right thing to do. So, God blessed us with Luke. And Luke was truly, I'm talking about, he was purposed. You know, he's never, he's never able to say he was an accident because we determined <laughs> to have that boy. And we no sooner had Luke and Levi showed up. Now, Levi was <laughs> not planned. He, he showed up and uh, those little dudes I'm talking about now, uh, Luke is six and Levi just turned four. Um, but they're, they're just, they're, uh, you know, when you have children, the first, the first Abigail, we were struggling. We were trying to create a ministry, searching for our identity. You know, where does God want us in this big world? Um, we took the church and had Nick, and you're grinding away. Those first years of taking a church, hours and hours of work. Uh, you're not real sure of yourself. You don't have your confidence. You're telling everybody you do, but you're trying to figure it out. Uh, so both of our, of our older children were given to us. God grant, granted them to us in years of tremendous labor. And the, the last two children... Uh, we're by no means coasting, but we're more comfortable with where we are. We know what we're supposed to do. We have great teams around us. We're able to enjoy these children. And so I'm glad Shelly talked me into it. I'm, I'm really, truly grat grateful because I've enjoyed being a father to Luke and Levi. Still got a while for them to move on and move out. I'm just getting started. <laughs> just, I mean, think about it. I've got one that graduated... Next year she goes to she enters into um, to college and I'll have another one entering into pre K. Yeah, 
say that's 15 more years. Let's just say I'm going to be pastor for a lot longer. <laughs> no retirement in your future. At least not the, the near future. No, that's for um, sure. But you mentioned the, the different times in which you had your first two children, and, and then the last two, you're a little bit more comfortable. Um, what was the... What was going through your head a lot of the time when you didn't have the confidence when you first took over a church? Was it, um, I imagine it's probably scary, but was there any fear that this wasn't the right decision? No, the decision I think was solid. You know, the thing is, here's what the thing uh, that that drives people, right? Um, and you, you, you're a sports guy, so I know you sound and you talk to a lot of people that have talent have a certain set amount of talent but insecurities man they're poison right so I knew we were in the right place but you're driven by the possibility of failure Um, so you drive you push yourself uh, you have that bit of insecurity and what you're doing is you're you're putting yourself in a position to burn out and that's what people do. They, they don't fail as much as they just flicker to an end, right? And so I had to come back and go, hey, you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, I'm really putting myself in a position here to shorten my influence um, and to minimize my years of service by harming myself, um, my health, my my consequences of not taking care of your body you know um mentally just working and working and working and working it's not healthy so we i mean it got to the point where i i went to the doctor and had had the doctor look at a back issue and he said to me hey pastor hate to tell you this it's your weak your core is weak like what so i you know i i paused and took took a uh, some time and said hey let me let me find some balance. And then we'll tell you what. That's what the word was. Balance. You know? Well, when you realize, hey, I'm right where I need to be. I'm the person I need to be. And, uh, you know, I can work and strive to get better. We never stop doing that. Still have goals and we're driven for success. Uh, we're driven to impact the kingdom. Uh, but to understand the balance of that is really important. So at some point every day, you put everything else aside and you go take care of your family and you take care of your health. I didn't do that for a number of years, but now I know the wisdom in doing that. It sharpens you. It makes for a better tomorrow. So you, you mentioned some of the, the harder times with it. Um, was that the worst it got? Was the the physical pain in the back and the the realizing you didn't have balance or was it something else? No, it was pretty much that, you know, the, the, the fortunate, the fortunate part of this church is this church is a, is a over a hundred years old, right? So I, I have enough understanding to, to say, well, if something happens to me tomorrow, well, church will find its footing, right? Churches that are, are strong and good. I'm not saying that we, we, we couldn't harm the church. That was a fear. I don't want to harm the church. I want this church to succeed. I want it to grow. Uh, if you go back and look at the numbers and the statistics, people will tell you, and Shelly and I lived this, it's easier to start a church 
than it is to take an established church, right? Uh, it's easier because established churches have a certain kind of presence in a community, right? So a lot of people may come, but there's a lot of people that won't for whatever reason. Uh, it may be you, it may not be you. Whereas if you start a new work, no, there's not enough people out there mad at you to not come, right? <laughs> so, so you know, but we we understood the integrity of, of this church, and we didn't want to let that integrity down. Um, so I I never felt like the church would fail. You know, I felt like what would it, what you know what what we're talking about here is a a good strong solid church. What I didn't want to happen though was I didn't want to be in a position to not to not give this church that next generation. You see, if you know, and this may be getting a little bit more uh, in depth than you want, but if you go back and you find churches that are struggling, it's because they lose a generation. Churches lose a generation. So if if you're looking for a strong church, you're going to walk in and you're going to see is it do they have a strong children's program? Do they have a, a, a strong youth program? Are they in a position to to raise up a generation of giving, committed, convicted people? Well, I knew that this church would outlast me if I failed, but that wasn't the goal. The goal is to say, hey, I took this church and I took the previous generation and the upcoming generations and I bridged that gap and I did it with such effectiveness that the church didn't lose a step it gained 10 steps that's my passion and probably four or five years ago I realized we were close to to seeing that actually happen and now I can say hey we have a powerful up-and-coming generation layers of generation and I'm very excited about that um, I've been in churches that didn't have that of all different denominations you know we have a church I did a wedding a while back uh, of a different denomination and this little couple rented the church they loved this church because it was absolutely beautiful wonderful acoustics it would probably seat close to 300 but it was the old style wooden benches the exterior was that that beautiful rock and, and and stone and marble. I mean, it was a beautiful building. And I walked in and told the lady who was overseeing the wedding, I said, oh, you have a beautiful building here. She said, I know. She said, it's a shame that we have to rent it out to things like this. No offense. She said, but this is the only way we can keep the doors open. They've lost an entire generation. Well, I knew that that was something that as a leader and as a pastor, I was not going to allow to happen. And you've done a fantastic job. The the youth building you guys just built, a couple million dollars poured into that. It's It's been an absolutely amazing time to see that grow and to see everything um, just develop. And then the new youth pastor, Michael Senna, comes in and just completely changes everything from the past and, and creates this new atmosphere, this this new um, place for people to come. And it's been incredible to see the, the transition of the church since you've made this decision, kind of push it forward and, and make it happen. And to see the effects of that 
decision you made four or five years ago. Now in 2019, it's been incredible to see, and I, I applaud you on that job. Well, thank you very much. Um, I mentioned you've traveled outside of the country um, a bit. So what is your best international story? Well, uh, <laughs> we just, we have a couple of them. <laughs> uh, this is my favorite part of the interview so yeah. far. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the trips outside of the country, you know, as a pastor, I learned this and it wasn't easy to learn, but um, it is something that you experience. But uh, there, there are two different ways you can go. You go east or you go west, right? Um, if you if you fly over and take in um, the Philippines, uh, Vietnam, any any of these countries, uh, you're submerged in into poverty, into brokenness. Um, that was my first experience, um, and that experience changed changed my life. It changed the way I pastored. And when I came over, I couldn't help, I couldn't help the brokenness. I had seen poverty. I had seen people that were just truly, um, the, the disrespect, the disregard for humanity was appalling. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time that was meant to be in my preaching. You know, as you look back over your life, you realize that Sermons are not just the development of ideas, but sermons create created through experiences. Um, it's kind of like cooking a gumbo, right? Because you want to layer the flavors. You want to cook with time, and you get layered. You don't just do that in, in 30 minutes. So with life, you, you're layering, and each one of these trips create a, a layering effect. The first one we went on, though, was crazy. I went with a group out of uh, Alexandria, Pentecostals of Alexandria, and we get we get over to the Philippines, and we're over there but a few days. I kind of get settled in because it's a full 24-hour flight. It's, it's a process getting there. Right. We get there, and, and I realize that once we get there, we have 200 islands. We're, we're going to 12 different islands. We've got 11 different flights and a two-hour boat ride. Three crusades. Each one of these flights are going to put us on an island where we're supposed to connect with a church. It turns into a marathon. I had no idea. Now, I'm going with a great group, and we've got a lot of, got a lot of, of things happening. You know, they're, they're talented, they're creative. So it's not like you're doing all this work by yourself. But man, you realize quick, this is going to be a grind. About seven days into it, I was done. <laughs> I was dehydrated, wiped out, done, 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 done. I'm in the hotel room, and I am physically uh, having cramps uh, because I'm dehydrated. And I don't even realize it. I'm drinking water. But over there, it's so humid, and I'm preaching. I'm, pre I'm exerting and preaching these crusades, and we're talking about thousands of people, but the auditoriums are gymnasiums, and they're all open-aired, and, and so it's, it's, it's crazy. So the missionary comes up and knocks on my door, and he goes, Hey, Pastor. I said, Yeah. He goes, I got something for you. I said, What? I'm in pain. 
I'm cramping now. I'm cramping in my, my, my stomach area. And I'm going, oh, my God. Did I drink some water? <laughs> did I take in some ice? What's going on, you know? He goes, here, I want you to take this peel. And it was a small little peel about a fourth of the size of your, your thumb fingernail. And so he goes, I go, what is this? And he goes, you don't want to know. I said, wait. It's the nod of the head. Yeah. I said, is this, is, can you get this in the United States? No. I said, well, should I take it? He goes, if you want to survive. I took this little pill. I'm going to tell you what. In two hours, I was a brand new man. I was a brand I have I have searched the world high and low for that peel. Can't find it. I've called my guy. Can't get it into the United States. So that that was my trip to the Philippines. It was phenomenal experience. Fell in love with the people there. We've been over there now many many different times. Uh, the 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 work over there is beautiful. Just beautiful. So uh, <laughs> just for perspective on the on the Philippines trip. So you were wiped out by day seven of yes. how many? 12. 12. All right. 12 days. 12 days. <laughs> 12 days. Tell, yeah. There was still five to go. Oh, man. I, we, yeah, we were five to go, five to go and, and more, more plane rides to go. And all that. The, the thing about the Philippines is every area is different. You know, every area has its own culture. There's a lot of different dialects over there. Uh, so you're, you're going into these unique areas and you're experiencing life. Amongst those people, they have this beautiful spirit, but they've been expecting you. So you go in, and it's a big deal for them, right? So you're not going in and just going to the hotel. You're going in. They're at the airport with a welcoming committee. They're bringing you to this meal that they've prepared. They've got all kinds of activities planned for you, so every. Everywhere you land, it's like, oh, oh, man, we start over again, right? So, yeah, it turned out to be crazy, but I love it there. Uh, you know, and, and, and amongst the, in amongst the, um, the beauty and the wonder of those people is terrific reverence. They truly love God. They love God. So when you go over there, and, and other places you've been, does the perception of being American help you or hurt you more? Well, it, there it, it helps, right? Because you got to remember, uh, and they and you see this. It was for me. It was odd at first because I didn't get it, but they call you Joe for GI Joe, right? They call you <laughs> Joe Joe or GI Joe or GI. So at first I'm going, what are they saying, right? It takes me a little bit. But understand, the American presence in the Philippines dates way back to the war. And, and America were, were well-received in the Philippines. You know? So for the most part, there's a tremendous reverence. And i got to tell you one night, quick story. Uh, we get there to the Philippines. We stay in Manila, and we have this hotel we stay at. We stay there every time. It's a beautiful hotel. And we stay there. We're there. I'm, I get in. I'm tired. So I can make my way to the hotel. I get up that next morning. I walk out. I'm going to go downstairs and join people for breakfast. Um, I go to the elevator. The biggest Filipino I've ever seen in my life. This guy is six foot four, 
Have you ever seen a Filipino that big? He's looking at me. He's true Filipino. He's standing in front of the elevator. No pass. I said, what? No pass. I said, I got to go downstairs. He said, no pass. This is the first time I've ever been in the Philippines. Okay? You can look out the window and see where there was an, an, another hotel bombed. Terrorist. Just a few years before, well, what do you think I'm thinking, right? I come out, I head straight down the hall to the stairs. The second largest Filipino I've ever seen <laughs> is standing at the stairs. Okay? I got my God. So I go back in the hotel room. I'm calling the desk. I said, ma'am, you got to let me out. You got what, What's going on here, you know? She said, we'll let you out in a minute. Just calm down. We'll let you out in a minute. Well, the El Presidente had stayed there that morning, gotcha. and they were getting him out of the building. And uh, so that was my first exercise <laughs> in uh, uh, this foreign country known as Philippines there in Manila. So after that, the trip was pretty easy. You know, <laughs> um, you, you recently went to Canada. I did. Uh, what was that like? Canada's beautiful. The, the thing about Canada, where we went, Quebec there, it's strictly... French. Yeah, it's French. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about, they're adamant about it, being French. Yeah, they yell at you. That's right. Yeah, even like the, the European French, they yell at you for that too. It's just Canadian French. It's it, it, And I mean, they're they're adamant. Well, before I go, I have a group of guys I connect with here. You know, every Thursday morning we teach Bible study. A lot of them are passionate about their French roots, so they're telling me about Quebec. So I get up there, I'm like, this is just a different kind of Cajun country, you know. <laughs> you know? The same names. <laughs> it's just colder. But I tell you, the French, uh, the French uh, experience up there was pretty cool. The people are amazing. Uh, the The environment was great. We have a powerful, awesome church there, First Pentecostal Church in Quebec. Now, it has a strong. African-American community, Jamaican community there. Their worship style is pretty neat. And so I get there, and we're just in the experience. And so the guys tell me, say, hey, we want you to teach tomorrow night in a, in a Bible study. So well, that's great. That's great, you know. So now this is a Bible study. <laughs> so I show up the next night, got my Bible, right? I don't have any notes because I know what I'm going to teach. You know, it's a lesson I've taught a lot. And so we're sitting there. And I go to, the, I lean over to the guy. They're kind of having this little, this, this prayer, and they have a worship song, and then it's, it's my turn. I lean over and I go, "Hey, so we're looking at what, forty minutes or so?" He goes, "Oh no, we're it's two hours tonight." I said, "What? Two hours?" I said, "You're expecting me to teach for two hours?" <laughs> no. They gave me a break. It's normally two and a half hours. That's right. So, uh, man, different kind of people up there. I said, you you try to get an American congregation to sit through two hours of teaching. You better stop in the middle and serve hamburgers. You know? <laughs> it's not going to happen. You know, but uh, great experience. Ex extremely beautiful place up there. And the people are wonderful. That Canadian endurance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I just got back from Germany. Oh, you got back from Germany? Me and my wife went to Germany. We This is a, a, a beautiful trip, a wonderful trip, because this is the first time that Shelly's gone with me in the years that we've been here. 
she's simply not been able to go because we've always had children, right? Right. And we don't have, we have some great sitters here, but she just never was comfortable leaving the children for that length of time, absent of us. So this was the trip that we went on together. Uh, funny story, we get there, right? So we go up, I've got a car that's rented on, I got it on a reserve. So I'd say to the lady, look, we're here to get our car. So she pulls it up. She says, oh, yeah, you got your car here. She goes, now, look, for X number of dollars, I can I can give you an upgrade. I said, okay. It was reasonable. So I, I took the upgrade. Now, over there, they drive Audis and BMWs. Mm-hmm. It's more expensive to rent an F-150 right, than yeah. it is to rent an Audi, right? Yeah. Or everywhere. So they put us in this beautiful Audi. Now, this thing is gorgeous. It had 16 miles on it. I am the first driver of this car, right? So I get on the interstate. We we, we fly into Munich, and we're going to a place called First. I hope I say that right. That's where we're supposed to work, and that's where we're going to be for the the, uh, few days that we're there. So naturally, I plug the address into my phone. Hop on the interstate, take off. Well, guess what? I just wasn't on any interstate. I'm on the Autobahn. Right. But I don't know it. Right? So I'm in this $70,000 car, driving behind this 18-wheeler, just weaving in and out of traffic on this interstate. And I start realizing people are blowing my doors off. Right? It starts to dawn on me. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, right? I get this car up. I take off. I, when I figured it out, I take off, right? I'm going 200 kilometers an hour. That's 127 miles an hour. Right. Right? There's steel whizzing by me. I, I mean, Germany. <laughs> Europe in general, but Germany... It's absurd. It, uh, it was the most beautiful country I'd ever seen in my life. Um, outside of going to the San Juan National Forest there in, in Colorado and experiencing that, this was so beautiful because it's it's fields and fields and fields of, of barley, well, hops. Um, it's all the, all the flowers you can imagine. And then it's these... Old antiquated villages, right. you know, where all the houses are just together, like you would imagine in some kind of of British novel. And, right. But that's exactly how it is. Every one of them has their own church. They're all beautiful. They're all they're all set up and situated, and every one of them has their own community. They're all close together. And then surrounding them is this beautiful farmland. It was that way for mile after mile after mile. Uh, then you drive into the community, into the cities. Well, the cities are all locked, landlocked in. I mean, it's it's so it's so beautiful and clean, and the people were wonderful, and uh, it was a great trip. So you come back from all these countries, come back to the United States, and you see um, the difference in architecture. Does it ever make you want to leave for an extended period of time for the U.S.? Like leave the U.S. for an extended period of time, maybe on a vacation for like a month or so? Well, you know, 
A lot of pastors do this. They take sabbaticals and leave and go. We're a little bit different. The, the thing about what you're, what, what you're looking at when you take a sabbatical like that is good. But depending on your personality, you know, I'm in a position to where the obligation and the commitment that you have toward a church is one thing. But, man, I am so guilt-driven when I'm gone for any length of time. So I'd end up writing a book, or I'd do something. You know, it wouldn't be a vacation. I'd end up, right. end up, you know, you know. I, I just, it's not in my nature to do that. Uh, but being gone a week at a time is wonderful. Now we need to go back when we're not, because we taught for right. every night except for one night while we were there. So we we flew in, we spent, uh, let's see, five six days, and so for five days we presented spent time with the people there, getting to know them and love them and share with them our story and the ministry. So, but now it wasn't two hours worth of teaching every night. It was 40. Right. (laughs) They don't have Canada stamina. But, well, we, um, no, to to answer your question, I I like being gone once or twice a year. Right. But I love this church. Um... (laughs) Yeah, Germany can't hang. Like, like no, Canada no, no. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> Canada's a special breed. Of That's right. They're their own. <laughs> um, I want to. I want to go back to where we began um, to kind of wrap this up. Going back to your childhood, when did you realize this is what you're supposed to do? Well, the thing about a calling. For me, it's all about. It's always been about um, following and, and looking and observing uh, your leaders. Um, and this is this is really my passion because I remember wanting to be first and foremost like my pastor. You know. Um, and at the time, I'm just I'm just wanting to be like that man because to me that man represents what it's what it's supposed to look like. He's modeling Christ. He's modeling a good life. So that's how it starts. And then when I was in um, when I was in high school, I started to feel that calling, and started working with with my my little youth group there. Um, and taking on that that responsibility, it was one night in a youth service that I, I, for the first time, I felt this the weight of humanity on my shoulders. Like I, I could feel how how God felt or how Christ felt in His absolute surrendering to humanity. So. Why did he die? The obligation to die, the commitment to die, that he might draw people to him. And I felt that. Um, and I remember distinctively get, getting down on the ground in between those pews and praying. And a man that was the district superintendent of Arkansas at the time got down there with me and prayed. Um, that was the first night I felt this deep sensation like God I mean it was a burden it was heavy and it was truly heavy um I came home 
and over the course of the next month wrestled with that on and off and we were it was summertime and we were down at the church getting ready for an event and the ladies were cooking and I was kind of in and out of the kitchen helping mom and felt it again and this time I went back into a, a back room and I was there probably for maybe two or three hours um, and when I came out I realized that that God was calling me to to be a light to influence people um, to say that I was supposed to be a preacher at that time uh, I, I knew that I was supposed to do something big but the idea of being a preacher was still intimidating to me because again I don't see myself as being able to articulate at that time I haven't even thought about the craft I am struggling to make sure that you know I'm I'm able to even talk to a girl adequately right you know so let alone stand in front of people and tell them how I feel about Jesus so that that was the beginning uh, it wasn't too long after that though that it came to me again and this time at, at the same church and I was there by myself praying and and that was for sure when God called me to preach and that calling was tattooed into my brain now that launched me into ministry um, I immediately began to study the word in a way that I never studied before I consumed sermons anything that I could listen to anything I could preach anything I could read consumed them I, I, I read Matthew Henry I, I read commentary hours of reading um, and began without even knowing it began to start collecting sentences right so that that sense of urgency on okay I need to prepare myself to, for what I'm supposed to do and a strong sense of inadequacy you know uh, I'm not prepared to do this um, guided me into college and all through college I prepared started preaching out has had uh, a, a chance to get in the pulpit and preach out it really wasn't though until that I went to Wichita Kansas when I first met Shelley and we we clicked and I went to visit the first time to Wichita and I got to know Pastor Monroe Cornwell I had all these sermons that I had been preaching written out on pieces of paper right and I went and met with Brother Cornwell, and one of the first things Brother Cornwell did was took me in to a copier room and put a piece of paper on the copy machine and punched a hundred, and that thing started printing. And he looked at me and said, duplicate yourself. Choose one thing and do it well. Choose one thing and do it well. Well, I'm looking around, and here's a man who has a church that's, 1500 strong uh, he's got an unbelievable ministry and he's investing in me now and he's talking to me and I look around I'm going this guy did one thing and did it well he, he, he reached for people he was a Bible study teacher he reached for people if he did it I'll do it right and that's that's really right there where my ministry launched it I made the choice that day that I was going to duplicate him and add me to that but Jeff Ralston was going to become a soul winner um, and 
he taught me how to do that. He taught me how to stand in a pulpit preaching to a crusade of 10,000 and reach for one. And if you can reach for one and convince one, you can convince the rest of them. He taught me that. Got really deep. <laughs> Got really deep right there. Duplicate yourself. Put that down somewhere. Um, but that led you to go to the University of Phoenix yes. to get a degree in psychology. Psychology. Um, how's that helped you out as a, as a pastor? Well, when I came in, you know, I realized immediately that I'm, I'm working with people. And my degree was in history, right? And I wanted to be, I wanted to be better equipped to relate to people. Um, because the way I view it and the way that my, my pastoral team views it is our job is to make sure that people don't keep their, their faith or their relationship with God in a box or as an event that they practice on Sunday. But we're looking to create a, a way of life that enables faith and everyday life to come together. Well, in order to do that, I need to be a little bit better equipped with people. What makes people tick? What causes people to do what they do? Um, how do you study? At the time, Phoenix was big, and um, I have no regrets in, in doing that. That project um, went in. It was something I could do online. At the time, they were one of the only ones in the, in the country that offered online classes. Now everyone can do it. But back in those days, they were, they were uh, the ones. So I took those online classes, uh, spent many a night writing late into the night. Don't regret it at all. It made me a better writer, made me a better thinker. Uh, I also learned the subject at hand, and I've been, I've been very fortunate to, to, to use it. I'll tell you this about higher education, though, and this is what I tell my kids all the time. The reason why we need higher education is to learn to think and research. That's made me a better pastor and a much better communicator. That's why I love the school I go to. Makes me a better person and a better broadcaster. That's right. And I go online as well. I uh, thank University of Phoenix for pioneering that to allow me to not have to go to Orlando. Uh, we have something we do around here to end it. Um, it's called a lightning round, five to seven random questions to get you kind of open up a little bit. Uh, answer in 10 seconds or less. Okay. Um, what accomplishment are you most proud of? My family. Family. Um, if you can have a dinner party with three famous people, living or dead, who would they be? Uh, uh, John Quincy Adams. Ooh, that's from deep in the oh, archives of history. That guy, that guy is, is he's amazing. The Wright brothers, I like to chat with them and see how that, that all came about. What makes a guy want to fly, right? Right. You know? Um, and Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. He has some lines. He has some great lines, but he also had some really dumb ones. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. Uh, what's the one place in the world that you want to go to that haven't been yet? You know, I'd like to go to Yellowstone National Park and fly fish. If you could be an Olympic athlete, what sport would you compete in? I don't think there's anything better than slamming a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Over some random Serbian guy. Yes! I don't, 
I don't think there's anything better than having the hops to slam a basketball. <laughs> what personal trait has gotten you in the most trouble? Well, you know, the, the outgoing, witty, because sometimes you say things and it's feathers to the wind. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite kind of sandwich? I, I love a meatball sandwich. Meatball sandwich. Mm. I had that last night. Oh, man. It was, it was Subway's good. got one of the best, believe it or not. Meatball marinade. Oh, man. That's exactly what I had it's last great. night. It's <laughs> great. It's <laughs> great. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go? Oh, I, I would love to go back. You know, and I, do, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily want to experience it, but I would love to go back and watch my grandfather in his heroics during World War to to experience that. Experience that. Um, you know, he died with bullets still in him. And he lived into, into his 80s. All right, so the, the whole idea of being a pastor is your job to make more pastors. Uh, what, what What's your thoughts on that? Truly, we want to develop pastors, but we just basically want to make disciples of Christ. Years ago, if you were going to be an influencer in Christ, you had to be a pastor, right? Well, that's not the way it is anymore. A lot of people may be a Bible study teacher, um, may just be someone that's a mentor, but you are a devout Christian helping others. So we want to create people that are pastors, evangelists, Sunday school teachers, disciples of all walks of life. I really do appreciate you making time for this. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you in this setting. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed it tremendously.